Hey, listeners, we're back with some fresh perspectives in securities finance. Where the street comes for some good stock loan information and a few laughs. And where beneficial owners come to learn. This is ESEC Lending Insights. Let's get over to our episode. Oh, thank you, Basler, for joining us. Thanks for making the time. Welcome to 2024. Finally, I got invited. So I don't even know how to do this anymore because you guys have excluded me oh, for so long. Please. But <laughs> it's good It's good that it's a New Year's resolution. And let me start by just saying Happy New Year because uh, I think no, we can it. still we're do that. It. We no. can still do that. No. The first week of the year. No, no. We had this. Was it last year or the year yes, before? This last year we had this conversation. And so, it is the fifth, the first week of the year. And I'm thinking next week is a no-go. But okay, this week so the- you're good. So the good news is, is we have a neutral party. He's a mediator. We purposely asked him to join the podcast today to act as a mediator between the three of us. Mr. Mike Brooks is with us. Mike, what do you say? What is your, Jim and I are against saying happy new year today. Peter's for, what's your verdict? I'm going to be in the Basler camp, mostly because I still have my Uh, Christmas tree up. So I think that jives okay if it's still happy new year territory and me having a Christmas tree up, but it is going this weekend. Mine's still up too, by the way. Which means, of the fifth, it is. which means the fifth does sound like a good end date to say it because it will be gone this weekend. Mike just said something that's never been heard before, said by anybody on this call. I'm in the Basler camp. Like, that's never <laughs> been said. <laughs> We've done it. It's a new seven. year. It's a new year. Jim, you look Jim, really why good. Do you, this... Why do you look so? Yeah. Why do you look, you look so all good? buttoned up? You know why, Peter. He's got me doing a. We have an important client prospect call today. Well, why doesn't Peter look better then? I look good. Respectable. That's best, that's best he's got, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't go anywhere from here. Yeah. I like the facial hair, the gel back hair, the polka yes, dot collared shirt. The whole thing is working for you. I'm just yeah. going to say that right now. It's a lot different than the Mike Brooks look today. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that to the listener's imagination. But Jim, talk to us about the work world. What's going on this year? What do we see happening first week of the year? Can we start with Mike and talk about year end and how it wraps up? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I can get into leading up to year end and how year end went. I think market was looking a lot at some of the early leading indicators for how the turn would go. That meant October month end, which is also CAD year end, as well as November month end for catalysts of what the future would look like. Both of those turn reporting dates saw a lot of volatility, saw a lot of better selling in treasury agency funding markets. We saw repo spike a decent amount on both of those dates. And I think it caused some concern for what our environment would look like year end. So last week, beginning of the week was pretty volatile, really led by balance sheets shrinking, some uncertainty there. I think we were getting dealers conservative views on how much sheet they could hold for sec lending activity. Saw repo rates increase. I think as the market kind of unwound some of that uncertainty, we started seeing things normalize. So the actual turn date, which it doesn't happen a lot, repo levels actually were lower going into the long weekend than they were the couple of days prior. I think we got conservative views from dealers. We had a lot of guys actually either not carrying back balances as much as maybe initially indicated. We had some even looking to add as repo started trading off throughout the morning and there was just kind of wider bid asks there. So 
I think some dealers saw some opportunities to make some money on some unutilized balance sheet or maybe some of their other clients, other either hedge funds or lenders might not have used their full allocation. So they had some sheet to go. So all in all, we were fairly happy with the way year end went. This one was also an atypical year end, just the way the holiday schedule lined up. We typically have month end settlements kind of aid to the turbulence around year end on the last day of the month. This year, just the way the settlement cycle was, we didn't see that settlement until this Tuesday. So it was a one-two settlement date. So we actually kind of missed that from a year end perspective. What it did do though, is it did add more of a year end hangover to repo market. So I think we saw just kind of higher funding levels for a couple of days longer than we typically do post year end, but that has since kind of reversed course and, and normalized. And now we're fully looking towards 2024 and different funding dynamics there. So year end, I think was something that we talked about really for us in the first quarter of 2023, we had a lot of different factors that were looking towards that, but a lot of it was balance sheets shrinking was part of it. You saw QT happening and then just expected more supply happening in the second half of the year, all factors that maybe had us prepare a little better this time around than in years past. So all in all, I don't want to say it not events, but it went pretty much as we expected. Looking forward into this year, any thoughts on prime versus government spreads? Because I know that's always a question for our lenders on whether they want to do prime funds versus government funds. Yeah, I mean, I think all in all, you'll see a contraction there. I think it'll be twofold. I think overall, from a government fund perspective that buys a lot of bills or repo product directly, I think we're going to see markets move higher. Both bill and coupon settlements increased. We're expecting the RRP, the kind of Fed backstop for cash to decrease, if not be drained all the way to zero. Overall, just the reserve play will be, there'll be less reserve. So all in all, I think funding levels will be higher. So repo levels will be higher which should increase government spreads. And then on the flip side, I think prime spreads will end up contracting some as you know, 2A7 funds prepare for money fund reform. April is when prime funds have to adhere to the new liquidity limits. So that really just means increasing their buffers for overnight 7 and 30-day liquidity limits. A lot of these funds, frankly, are already there and where they need to be. It just depends on how much excess buffer that they add in. Also, kind of liquidity fees are going to be implemented in October at some point. So I think in the summertime, we could start seeing funds better positioned for that as well, which could decrease some spread in prime products. And then just in general, we're going to now be in a rate environment where we're expecting cuts. So there's a lot of assets coming off the books that might be fixed assets that are going to be reinvested lower. You know, both government and prime funds are going to be seeing this dynamic, but it typically hits those who can buy credit product a little bit more. So I think you'll see some defense being played by prime fund managers as well. So all in all, I do think that that space will continue to contract some. It might just take some time over the course of the year. Great color. Thanks, Mike. You want me to kick some 2024 thoughts off here, Peter? That'd be great. Yeah. So this is the week that managers on the desk and myself make calls to the street, talk about 2024 whether your axes, your goals, your objectives, that sort of thing. And so still gathering, but talk to a majority of people so far I have in the U.S. Balance sheet cleanup is one. So we've heard a lot of requests for 
downgrade trades in many different flavors, not just treasuries versus equities. Some care about terms, some don't. So that's LCR cleanup. We'll just handle it one by one. There's no magic bullet across all these efforts that they have. Everything's unique and bespoke. So it's important, I think, that the first couple of weeks to have goals with these guys individually and talk about what we can get done and which clients fit their axes and go from there. So RWA, obviously, is a concern. Everybody's different. So Pledge is a solution there. There's a handful of non-US banks who want to look at Pledge. And we're getting documents swapped to kind of move that forward for whomever wants to do it with whatever clients are comfortable doing pledge. CCPs are something we're looking at. We need some sponsorship. As you know, Peter, you're on that project. We need sponsorship to get into the NFCC, the CCP, the central clearing at DTC. So that isn't broadly accepted by the street as it's currently constructed. So we're going to work both with borrowers who want to do it as constructed and try and find something that works. And then we're going to work with DTC to try and get a product that actually works. How many participants in the market would you guess are already active in that space transacting well, through CCPs? Traditionalists, not kind of broker to broker, but like, you know, traditional agent lender market to the dealer community. Agent lender to the dealer community. Most of the CC, there are many lenders, kind of retail lenders, who can do business through the OCC. All the volume for central clearing goes through OCC at this point. Nearly all the volume, except for essentially one trade that went through the DTC pipes. So on our side of the street, I would say it's just one or two retail lenders who go through the OCC, but have those same retail lenders are willing to look and work through DTC. But if they're already doing business with the street through another clear, that doesn't matter to them, right? So maybe my question is, is it fair to say that the whole market is still in a similar, maybe there's variations on the theme in terms of how they access it, because some can access directly, et cetera. But mm -hmm. the whole market is probably in a similar position of determining what, how they use it, what mm -hmm. they put through it. You know, yeah. what the solutions but is, are. Is it, isn't it fair to say that the agent lending community generally has not embraced this? Because that's been my understanding as we're kind of, you know, dipping our toe in the water with some ideas on some non-traditional trades. Hmm. My understanding from the players from that central clearing market is that the big agent lenders are pretty resistant still. Half true, I would say. They're resistant, but they want it. The large agent lenders have, as you guys know, pretty big RWA issues. It's stuff that as a trust company, we don't really face the same hurdles, but they want a solution. There's just not a solution that works for them now. Right. So right. I, I think they're working pretty diligently away from us to come up with a solution. It's indifferent, really a central clear. It's going to get you 2% RWA either way. It doesn't matter who it is. So I think agent lenders are working hard. They have teams of people trying to set this up, trying to get it to the proper collateral and the proper default fund contribution type levels. Something will happen, I think, at some point. And so for us, we'll leave that charge probably slightly different because we have different needs and RWA isn't a factor for us. So our needs are really clients that want to face a central clear and brokers who want to show us their axes in that space, which I think we probably have a better chance than most to getting to that finish line quickly. And do you think as far as the CCP route is one way to react and solution around Basel III endgame potential outcomes? And I know there are a lot of other things happening. Do you see a lot of the dealer side getting ready for a certain outcome there that's negative? Or do you see them like getting solutions on the shelf ready to go if certain things happen? We're going to find this out, right? I know, Brooke, you're very close to this. Yeah. 
um, from the benefit owner side. I know you didn't ask me, but that doesn't stop me typically. That was kind um, of a little bit of an ask there uh, at the end. I think it's all of the above. I mean, I think that dealers are both preparing solutions, but I think they're also equally still working through the process and wanting to hopefully see refinements made to the final rules that might be a little bit less material or impactful or said a different way, you know, some favorable changes made to the final rule set that could help soften some of the impacts. So I think it's a little bit of both, but I think people recognize that there are changes. I mean, and some of those solutions are already in place today. There's brokers out there that have already made pretty significant investment in creating trade structures, trade solutions that have less of a capital impact or are more capital friendly for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Brooks, right. I would add that, and I think I heard your question a little differently, Peter. So yes, they're working on the end game and the language that works and watering it down so that the street isn't that impacted. And they're working with Washington on that or whoever they're working with. But I think they're also planning, and it's an easy solution, like plan B, if nothing comes to fruition and CCPs and all the different pledge documents and pledge back documents don't work for whatever reason for either side of that trade, they're prepared to solution other ways, which in many cases, we're just talking about GC, right? Specials aren't going to be affected anyway, because there's just enough in that trade. But the GC trade is so thin, they'll move it to broker to broker. They'll move it internal solutioning. Like, so it's... I think a negative outcome is kind of what you asked about. I think a negative outcome hurts agent lenders and beneficial owners more than it hurts brokers because it'll just change dynamics on the street. I agree with Jim on that too. So that was. Do just, you guys uh, agree with each other? I was going to yeah, say we, that, that's 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 that's, that's a summary. That's a summary I also think, me. in addition to whatever, what was the thing that we never hear? Oh, that I'm in Bowser's camp. Yeah. I think another new comment was Brooke is right. Yeah. I paused for a long time after I said that because it, hurt. it really hurt to say. <laughs> the risk here, Jim, is for those beneficial owners that are big GC lenders, right? Correct. And yes. that's the big issue, right? And I worry about some of these solutions like CCPs and pledge, pledge back as having struggles with our traditional beneficial owners guidelines. Oh, they right? do. And Absolutely. That, that, yes. that's, a, that's a big factor. Yeah. yeah. In the end, that means anybody who's a specials only lender isn't going to be impacted. If borrowing cash and lending your equities is important to beneficial owners, I think we need them in this conversation because it could go away if we don't come up with a solution. And so it's going to require all three people in that chain so that the broker, us and beneficial owners to have discussions, what's important. And if this goes away, how does that impact our lending program? I care. I don't care. If I do care, then we figure out how we, we all need to kind of jump in the pool. What about non-cash GC? I mean, I know we talk about the pendulum offering going between cash and non-cash. And last year, at least U.S. equities were very heavy cash. Are we still in that zone? And how does that dynamic, you think, play out this year? Yeah, we saw a swing at the end of the year to non-cash. But so far this year, we've seen or we've felt away from us a willingness to pay more for cash loans on the lending side, meaning lend it cheaper. So, you know, it's a desk rate is typically OBFR minus 10. That thing's migrating closer to minus five or higher. But for select clients, and that is probably an RWA solution for other agent lenders. And so we'll see more of that. It's going to continue, I think, until a solution comes up. But to the extent you're asking about non-cash and RWA relief, it's all the same. So yeah. cash, not cash, they don't care. So it's an RWA solution needs to Come either way. It's spread. It's sort of what the value of the trade is. When there's a lot of money in it, then they're willing to take the capital hit. 
but when yeah. there's not a lot of money in it and it's a high volume, kind of doesn't matter what the collateral type is, you could argue. Yeah. And so both, they want solutions for both, but at the moment, a cash, if you assume average yield is 15 over OBFR and the desk is 10. So for a lender, that's 25 bips through the middle, whereas non-cash for that same loan is 10 bips. So they're starting the solution with cash to preserve that trade and it'll migrate or cash will be included at some point, hopefully. But I think some of these CCPs, the solution might be non-cash right out of the gate. And that's really going to have an impact. We haven't thought about it because there isn't a viable option on the table yet. But once there is, we got to think about what that does to cash lending. I think it's important to have a CCP solution, both cash and non-cash. And speaking of central clearing, Mike Brooks, the U.S. Treasury's central clearing rules were also finalized towards the end of last year. It will impact treasuries in general, of course, but then the repo market specifically. I know that we do treasury repo, although it tends to be probably less than a lot of other instruments that we'll make use of on the reinvestment side. But are you guys already starting to have a lot of the conversations with the dealer community around central clearing for treasury repo? And what's sort of your house view on that? Yeah, we're definitely in the infancy stages, I'd say. Definitely going to spend Q1 getting different dealers' views on it. Not only for our individual trades that we do do via Treasury repo, but also although our stock loan trades, our sec lending treasury trades that dealers book up as borrow versus cash trades will not be included in the central cleared mandates. It doesn't mean that repo levels in general will not be affected by this and impacted. So it does trickle down to us in some capacity. So we're keeping an eye on really the kind of the whole operational dynamic of the central clearing of does the cost outweigh the benefits from a counterpart perspective? If there are costs, how does that get passed down and who does that get passed down through? And does that make its way into wider bid-ask spreads? Does it make its way into our overall level? So I think there's still some uncertainty around that exactly. If you look at the implementation layout, it is long, 2024, 2025, and 2026. I think 2026 is when repo trades have to be cleared. I think the end of 25 is when cash trades need to be cleared. So definitely a lot of conversations there. So I think we'll have more to come, but it's definitely something that's on our radar and something that we're having conversations about. Even the majority of our book is treasury loan trades, but it will impact us in some dynamic. Thanks, Mike. What are we most looking forward to? And I'm purposely being vague. End of this podcast? <laughs> I'm looking forward to the IMN conference at the end of the month, Brooke. I, I that was, was an easy was one for me. I was going to go there. Yeah. I mean, Nashville sounds like a great location and there's a good attendee list of people we look forward to connecting with. So okay. that's what I'm All looking right. forward to. And we just gave the nod to Maroney. So Jim will be there, right, Jim? Or are we, we making it official? It's official. 100% in. Nashville but, will never be the same. And I'm buying but, cowboy boots. But we're not putting them on a panel this time. No, we're not going to do that. But wait, hold on. Let's back up because that wait, was... did I, I botch like... the panel in New I didn't say. Did someone say that? I didn't <laughs> say implied. that. It was implied. I don't... I want that feedback immediately, <laughs> not a year later. God. No comment. No, you were excellent. You are an excellent panelist. But cowboy boots for real? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't have, you have them. I don't. You are I... kind of a shoe guy. Yeah. And they're comfortable. I've had a pair before and I don't have any now. So, so. you're investing just to come to this conference <laughs> in your yeah. personal wardrobe? Yep. I like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is, I'm going to still ask the question, but this might be one of those questions that I shouldn't ask. Like, like full height cowboy boots or lower cowboy boots? 
the I think the midsize is what I like. I'm okay. gonna go try them on. But the, do you have to make oh, sure your calf fits in? Like, do you have to make sure that's a wide enough? I have, I have huge calves. Yeah. This lot, this feels like muscle. a this feels like a field trip in a couple of weeks when we're all together for some strategy meetings. I would do that. I'll look and see. If, <laughs> I'll look for a boot store in Boston. I'll do that. I like it. All right, listeners. Well, if anyone knows of a good boot store in Boston, and I guess we need of the Western varietal, please let us know. We have a mission to complete. I thought Mike Brooks would bring us back to the land of focus. Mike, anything you're looking forward to? I don't know if looking forward to it, but I think it'll be an interesting year, maybe different than the last couple in the sense where the last couple we were preparing and positioning our books against extreme tightening cycles. And now we're kind of looking at the reverse. So that brings all different challenges and whatnot. But I think our books overall are positioned well, but it just keeps things interesting here in the front end, which some would say maybe isn't always the case. So I guess that's what I'm looking forward to. Okay. I like that. I'm looking forward to a good year. I'm looking forward to the fact that Jim now is inviting me to the parties that he throws, which is a big change in the evolution of my time at ESEC Lending. So I'm appreciative of that. On a trial basis. Wait, which party are we talking about, Jim? <laughs> You're not invited, Peter. <laughs> see, see, I, I see. That's a problem. We're gonna have to take this offline, Jim. I, see, I told, I told you not to say anything, bro. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Okay. All right, friends, listeners. Well, one last, one for last sticking half. With Happy us. New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year, people. Yeah, I'm not giving it back. Shut it down. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye soon. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Let us know what you think. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of or liability for decisions based on such information. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.